I see dogs as great teachers for us because they take us back to the simplicity of life. A lot of people have forgotten that, and that's why they are so unhappy or uncontent with their life, or they are experiencing so much stress in their life and overwhelm that it's hard to deal with them, with it. Not only that, that is an over time when, when that continues, that is how mental health issues develop. This is Your Purposeful Life, and I'm your host, Adrian Starks. I'm a speaker, podcaster, narrator, writer, and entrepreneur. On this podcast, we're taking a different approach to the understanding of purpose because it's not a one-size-fits-all. There will be a variety of guests expressing their purpose through the human mess we call the human journey. These conversations will guide you to a better awareness and understanding of your unique purpose in the daily life of mistakes, changes, and challenges and how to put that purpose into action, bringing you more experiences of success, fulfillment, and achievement on your terms. Let's go on this journey of purpose together. Welcome back, everyone, to Your Purposeful Life, and I'm your host, Adrian Starks, and today's topic, how can dogs help us to become better leaders? Today's guest is Iris Grimm, and she's an experienced coach and workshop facilitator who brings a holistic approach to the leadership development space, which provides warm and open energy and is engaging and fun. Iris's trademark program is called Dog Gone Leadership, love that name, which her clients learn and implement practical leadership strategies that come from the experience of living and working with dogs. Iris, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on. And I am intrigued by this concept you have about dog gone leadership. And I want to start first with what are some things that a person could be lacking in leadership or they could be doing better in leadership? that a dog could help them to improve? Oh, Adrian, there are so many different things that we can learn not only from dogs, but that we can also le learn for dogs and with dogs. Mm -hmm. So the question is, where do you want to go with, in that regard? I mean, there are. let's just start out with how dogs are shaking stress off easily, right? It's like a dog experiences a stressful situation. Let's say the neighbor's dog is walking by the yard. They are getting all revved up. They are getting aggressive. They are barking. They are letting everyone know that there is someone outside, right? But, but as soon as you call them off, they typically shake their body, which is a way of letting go of the stress. Hmm. And then they go back on their bed and they snooze and, and continue with their life. Versus if there is a stressor happening in our lives, we struggle with that. We can't let it go because our mind keeps on revving it up. And then our mind makes it sometimes bigger than it actually was because our mind sees also so many things as a perceived threat, but takes it to a completely different level, which then really messes up the rest, can mess up the rest of our days. Okay. So that's just one example. <laughs> One example. So dogs can actually help us to learn how to deal with stress. They can. Yes. They are What's great, great role models for that. Okay. What's another example? Is it patience or what else can we, what else can a dog provide us with? Oh yeah. I mean, we definitely can learn patience with dogs, um, especially when we're bringing a no dog into our homes, right? Because dogs just like us, they come with their own little baggage, especially when we are adopting a dog from a shelter, which means I have to tune into 
the communication and to the behavior of the dog because their behavior is communication. They don't communicate to us through words, but they can communicate to us with their behavior and with their body language, right? Uh-huh. This is very uncommon for us when it comes to communication because we tend to only listen to words. Dogs teach us to listen contextually, which then means when I can do that with my dog at home that I just adopted from a shelter, then I also can take this into the workplace and don't just listen to the words that my employee or my team members are saying, but I listen to the entire story where they are coming from instead of making assumptions that are just not true. You brought up a great point there, too, about the body language, because typically, human beings, we respond through body rapport, but a lot of us ignore that, right? I think they said the saying is 60 to 80% body language, but we've developed this really strong or powerful prefrontal cortex, which allows us to talk and to analyze things, and we can tend to overanalyze without seeing the clues right there in front of us. And having a dog actually helps us do that. And that is absolutely phenomenal because I didn't think of that. And when you mentioned earlier too about the dog shaking their body as a means of shaking off stress, I just thought it was just shaking off dirt or something. (laughs) That's that's something new to me. I'm like, okay, that's what they're doing. They're shaking off something that, you know, possibly is tension for them. Yeah. Why why is this so important to you, Iris? This concept of doggone leadership. Why why does this even matter? Well, there are Several reasons that that this matters to me. I mean, the first one is that obviously there are a lot of dogs in shelters that have given been given up by humans, and it was not. I always say um, when people are giving up on a dog, they give up on themselves first, right? Because the dog created a problem for them whether it was through their behavior or anything else. But instead of dealing with it and finding a solution, the easiest thing that or one of the things that people do is they just blame the dog and then to return the dog to the shelter and the rescue group, which means people have not learned anything from that relationship and the experience of being with a dog. I see dogs as great teachers for us because they take us back to the simplicity of life. A lot of people have forgotten that, and that's why they are so unhappy or uncontent with their life, or they are experiencing so much stress in their life and overwhelm that it's hard to deal with them, with it. Not only that, that is an over time when, when that continues, that is how mental health issues develop. Mm, okay. And dogs can help us out of that. Wow. So this just really struck me. When people are returning dogs to shelters or they're getting or they're abandoning their dogs. I like to, you know that's a, that's a word that we should just have to have to say. Yeah. You're giving up on something or you know a being that really trusted you. Yeah. to to be a part of its life. So when we're doing that we're actually we're actually creating more of a problem because there's going to be more dogs in shelters obviously. Also too we're we're ignoring the problem of what we need to do with ourselves in order to become better human beings. So if the dog brings this up into our lives and we see it as, oh, that's a problem, that dog's a problem, it's not really the dog, it's it's how we're dealing with that scenario. Yeah. 
and, and that I never thought of it that way. That's an interesting way of looking at it. You know, I was I was doing a little bit of research here too, Iris, because I was interested in this conversation and I wanted to know about dogs being abandoned and, and how much of this is really an issue. And according to the ASPCA, I got some research. I'm not sure how accurate it is, but you can let me know if I'm off or not. It said about 3.3 million dogs are sheltered each year. Mm-hmm. 3.3 million dogs. And I was like, whoa, yeah. that's how many dogs are being given up by people. Mm-hmm. And how are these shelters dealing with that? I mean, are they building more shelters or what's going on? Well, you know, obviously shelters are uh, working together with rescue groups and rescue okay. groups tend to pull a lot of the dogs out. And then, of course, the shelters make these dogs available for adoption. However, there is an overpopulation of dogs especially and cats as well, especially here in the South. And so that's one of the reasons why they are still. And the number, nobody really knows the accurate number because shelters are not required to report actual numbers. But there are still more than a million, 1.2 to 1.6 million dogs that get euthanized every year. Not because they were bad dogs, but just because people have given up on them. So sad. And how many, again, you said over a million? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, the, those numbers are not, there are no ac- accurate numbers out there, unfortunately. Mm, okay. Wow. That's that's alarming to me because that's like half the amount of dogs that are being sent to shelters and half are being euthanized. And that's that's a huge, huge problem there. It is. And that, that problem has gotten worse again now after the pandemic. Because during the pandemic, I always say the rescued or uh, the shelters and the rescue dogs were actually the winners because people felt lonely, people were at home, and they thought, all right, now I can adopt a dog. Well, now, you know, the pandemic was over, people returned back to their offices. The first thing that had to go was the dogs as well because they didn't need them anymore. And so now, you know, add the inflation and the uncertainty and all of that. Um, Less people are adopting dogs these days. And maybe it's also because there are still a lot of people who adopted dogs during the pandemic. That may be a reason too. So the shelters are keeping these dogs longer and they are running out of space because more people tend to return dogs and Mm -hmm. that just increases this number. So we'll see how this number develops in the next year. Well, thank goodness for people like yourself, because with your mission and your purpose is to you know, bring awareness of the impact of dogs that they can ha- they can have in our lives, and and even encourage humans to reduce the number of dogs that are sent to shelters and being uh-huh. abandoned, and that's an incredible purpose. Now, this dog gone leadership that is woven into that purpose. This is what I love about you. I'm going <laughs> to say this right now. You have something that you found was a problem that you were passionate about resolving. You created a purpose to take that problem now and put it into terms of service to help people see that they could be a solution to the problem. Absolutely phenomenal. Let's talk about this doggone leadership perspective. How did you come up with this approach? When did it start for you? Well, um, I guess it, it started really 22 years ago when I had, when I got my first dog. Um, and, um, I had no clue about Dogs. I grew up in East Germany. In East Germany, um, we did not have, well, the number of dogs that people had was very limited compared to here. And not only that, my, my dad didn't want me to get a dog. 
Um, so I did not get a dog until I was 31 years old. And so wow. did not know anything about dogs, had to learn right from, you know, right from the beginning. And, but I really loved learning about dogs because again, I just got so much back from my own dog. Um, he is really the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing today. And of course, I have also been in the leadership development space for the last 23 years, coaching um, and training leaders. And so over the years, and me then also volunteering for rescue groups, providing workshops to dog owners to help them with their own dogs, there came a time where I always looked for it and I said, how can I merge these two things? How can I merge my leadership coaching with with dogs and, and dog training? And so it was really... Um, me asking the question, me thinking about it, but then also me experimenting with it until I found the way how I could easily merge those two loves into one. Beautiful. Merging the two loves into one. And you found that way to help other, help companies obviously learn how to bring dogs into their lives. Now, how is this approach applied in companies? What if someone doesn't have a dog? Do you bring a dog there and, and give them like a, you know, an understanding of how dogs work or how do you go about doing that? So um, it all depends. And of course, in that way, I adjust it based on who is in front of me and based on the needs that there are. But so when I, for example, go into a pet friendly um, organization or workplace where dogs are allowed um, to to be in the workplace. And I do a program, a workshop, a presentation um, on dog-on leadership. Then I use one or two dogs as, an, as a partner, as a play partner to go through some exercises. Now, if I do this in an organization where um, there are no dogs allowed. I, it's not about bringing a bunch of dogs in and doing dog training. That is not my purpose. My purpose is to draw or, or, or uh, show the parallels between dog leadership and human leadership. And I then translate it into leadership principles that can be applied in the workplace. And so I use my own stories with my dogs. I draw out stories from my audience. And again, if you think about it, close to 40% of all of American households have currently a dog, right? And then there's another percentage of people who maybe had a dog in the past, but their dog transitioned and they didn't want to get another dog or people who grew up with a dog but didn't have a dog as an adult or they can't have another dog because of their lifestyle or their work situation. But, you know, there are, the majority of people had either dogs or love dogs. If you think about it, I mean, dog videos are one of the most watched uh, videos on, on YouTube right? because it makes people smile. And so... Um, the majority of people can relate to these stories and they are fascinated by these stories. And what I also learned is they are more engaged with these stories because the, the, the good thing about this is also that even though I talk about leadership in the workplace, I always weave in the stories about dogs so that people, after, you know, oftentimes email me or when when I see them again at a workshop, come up to me and say, hey, Iris, by the way, what you talked about this dog, I applied it with my own dog and I saw a change because that is what I also want to change. 
I don't want people only get good as leaders in the workplace, but I also want people to get better with their dog, with their leadership, with their dogs, so that all bases are covered, so to speak. Love it. And dogs are actually pack um, oriented animals. So mm-hmm. when you accept the dog, is it true that you're automatically seen as the leader of the pack until the dog decides that you're not the, <laughs> the leader of the pack? <laughs> well, that is a good question, right? And and there are mixed mixed um, opinions, in, especially when it comes to leader of the pack and the alpha, right? Because with dogs, it's really, it's about the energy. It's not about the strongest dog, like physically strong dog that is the, the pack leader, but it is the energy that they are exuding, the confidence that it comes from the inside out. And I also always say to people, it's like, as soon as you are taking the leash off the dog, Let's say you're picking up the dog in the shelter. The dog already knows who you are. The dog already senses your energy. And based on that, the dog will adjust his or her behavior. So it's what you are bringing from the inside out, just like in in companies. You know, it's not about being the loudest um, and speaking the most. But it's really about the energy that you bring to every relationship that makes you a leader. I like that. You also mentioned too. I did some more thinking, um, reading about what your specialty is, and you involved a study. It was a 2018 study conducted by Kelton Research for Banfield Pet Hospital, revealed mm-hmm. that an astounding 83 percent of the C-suite executives surveyed grew up with a dog. This is more than four out four and five, and seventy eight percent attribute their career success in part to owning a pet as a child. Mm-hmm. Now, this is very interesting for the leaders that are listening today because if you've had a dog before, then a lot of your creativity, a lot of your social skills, have been impacted by that pet, that animal that you've had. Mm-hmm. So, the action step today for the people that are listening. What can they do, specifically our leaders here, if they want to up their game as a leader or they want to know how to communicate better with their team members? What can, what step could they do if they have a pet already? Like, is there a way of communicating with their pet differently or they, should they spend more time with their pet? What can they do? So let's say if they have a pet, a dog, and let's say their dog has a, an undesirable behavior right? From maybe chewing a shoe to maybe... That happens. uh, (laughs) Maybe, you know, pulling on the leash um, or barking at um, other dogs when they are seeing um, other dogs on the walk. You know, it can be any kind of behavior. And again, you know, I just recently saw a a survey where they said more than 50% of dog owners say that their dog have an undesirable behavior. Instead of looking at the dog and blaming the dog, I always say when you are pointing the finger towards the dog, remember there are three paws pointing back towards you, right? And, and in that way, ask yourself, who am I being in this situation that makes my dog do X, Y, Z? And not only that, then who do I have to become to teach my dog a better behavior. 
Because I also always say when we adopt or foster a dog with the intention to bring out the best in him, the dog brings out the best in us. So that means it's taking responsibility for everything that the dog is doing and also for that what the dog is not doing. Because that always gives me the power to make a change. And the same thing applies in the workplace. Instead of blaming the team members and say, oh, they are not engaged and and they don't care and all of these things, right? Instead of doing that, when we are saying that, it makes us as leaders powerless. However, if I say, who do I have to become? What do I have to do differently as a leader to get my team more engaged, to bring out the best in this person? Then I always have the opportunity to make a difference and to change things. And that is where we always have the power. I love that. The idea, too, of not blaming. Because if you're blaming, remember that, as you mentioned, you got three paws pointing right back at you. I love that one. I'm going to use that next time when I talk to someone. Don't blame me. You got three paws pointing at you. (laughs) Let's talk about the the leash thing. Because you mentioned the leash earlier. What does it mean when a dog pulls on a leash? Because it's a sense of rebellion, obviously. And I've seen people with their dogs. I'm like, okay, who's walking who here? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But what does that mean? Is it, it, I mean, if it's a puppy, of of course it seems playful behavior. But if it's an adult dog, it could be something a little bit different. Or maybe it is playful. I don't know. What is your take on that? The question I always ask people is, did you ever teach your dog to walk beside you on a loose leash. What is the command that you are using to get your dog next to you? Because think about it, in the wild, dogs don't know what it's like to walk on by your side with a loose leash. Dogs go everywhere. They are led through their nose. Oh, I I smell something over here. Let me go over here and sniff and then pee. And then, oh, there's something over there. And off they go into the different direction, right? So the dog by nature has does not have it in their brain to walk by our side. It is a mental exercise for a dog to control their impulses and say, all right, I have to walk here and have to adjust to you, to your speed, human, and I cannot pull you left or right wherever I want to go, which means that requires training. That requires conditioning. What most people do is they take the dog on the leash and think, all right, the dog naturally um, knows how to walk by my side, but most dogs don't. And so then what happens is there is a struggle going on, right, or people are letting letting the dog lead, and um, but they don't get any pleasure out of the dogs or out of the walk with the dog. So what happens next? Instead of saying how can I pr- improve the situation over time, they say I don't take my dog out anymore. I have a backyard. I can let my dog run around in the backyard, right? And so therefore, I I say it's not again. It's not the dog. It's like what do I have to teach the dog so that the dog understands what it's like to walk nicely by my side. Love it. Great, great explanation there for the the leash. So I was always wondering that. This has been a wonderful time with you today, dear Iris. And I would I like to know what is something that we can all do today to help you with your mission and awareness for 
dogs in shelters? How can we be a part of that? Is it volunteer work that could also that could help adopt a dog? How do we go about doing that to help you with your mission? So yes, the first thing really is is as um, go to a rescue group or a shelter nearby and ask if there is any way how you can volunteer. It can be as simple. I mean, here in the Atlanta area, there are shelters that allow volunteers to foster a dog for the weekend, where you just bring the dog home for the weekend, hang out with you in the house, and you can return the dog on Monday morning. Or you just go there and you walk the dog. So that is one way how how um, listeners can make a difference um, and really contribute to, to the purpose that I have is really to reduce the do- number of dogs in shelters. The second thing is is also that when you want to adopt a dog, go to the shelters first. You know, in the end, I believe it's only 37%, around 37% of people adopt dogs from shelters, which means there are still 63% who buy dogs from breeders. Now, there's nothing wrong with breeders. I mean, there are a lot of responsible breeders out there, but then there are also a lot of irresponsible breeders out there. I hear it often from people who say, well, I want a puppy because the puppy is, you know, I can train it the way I, they, I want to. But all of those 3.3 million dogs that ended up in shelters all started out as puppies. And not only that, I also like to say to, to leaders all the time, you know, yeah, of course, it's nice to get a puppy or, you know, someone who does not have any baggage. But even when you have a get, have a new team member coming into your company and working with you and, you know, they are rescues. They are rescues in their own little way. They have their own little baggage, right? So we have to learn to work with that baggage and help them drop that baggage over time. And so adopting a dog from a shelter or a rescue group is a great way to look beyond that baggage and see the potential that they have and help them manifest it into reality. Love it. How can our listeners find out more about what you're doing with companies and your mission going forward? How can they find you? Uh, They can go to my website, irisgrim.com. There they can also go to irisgrim.com forward slash gift, where there is a little play sheet that they can fill out that is designed about reflecting on their relationship with their own dog. And then by going through that, those questions, finding out the life or leadership lesson that their dog can can help them, uh, that their dog teaches them. Love it. I'll make sure I put that into the show notes. One last question here for you. I know that you, we are, I'm aware of your purpose and your mission, but I got to ask you this one. What does living a purposeful life mean to you? Living a purposeful life means to me to find that pearl inside that wakes you up in a different kind of way. It's almost like where your soul is speaking to you. Spend time, find that, nourish it, nurture it, and then bring it out to serve a larger community. Well said. That's been absolutely amazing. It's great to have you on the show today, Iris. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you for listening to Your Purposeful Life today. And I'm your host, Adrian Starts. Download this podcast on any platform of your choice by going to our website, yourpurposeful.life. Join me on my social media channels and be a part of the Your Purposeful Life community. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit that like button with a purpose. Let's help you shape your purpose 
your way.